name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. The Fall. So, in this book, The Faith, by Clark Carlton, that we've been kind of using as a template for the series, and I'm adding little things from here and there, but it's predominantly from, from this book. Um, he says, through his disobedience, man, or humankind, has rejected his divine vocation and has failed to realize his life as love and communion with the All-Holy Trinity. So, the All-Holy Trinity, we talked about the Trinity as being very personal and wanting to enter into personal relationship with His creation. A, a relationship which is very simply, and simply here meaning single, just one thing, it's love. Between God and man, it's supposed to be between man and God. But through disobedience, we chose... We took what God gave us, and we'll talk a little bit more about what God did. So our vocation, like our, our reason for existence, our reason to be, was to return love for love. But rather, we returned love with disobedience. It also says, God created humankind in His own image, so that through the use of His free will in returning all that God had given Him in an offering of love, man might grow ever more like God in an eternal communion of love with the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So God basically gave us creation so that with it we could worship Him. And this all like, like comes to life, like throughout this entire talk, you're going to be thinking, yeah, like the liturgy. You know, God gave us, you know, wheat, which, from which we get flour, from which we make bread and grapes, from which we get, make wine, from which, and from which we offer. And water, you know, and we offer these things, you know, flour and wine and, and water. And from them, we participate. So we take what God did and we participate. Like we don't offer God wheat and grapes and water. We, offer, we take what He gave us. And we participate, we co-work with Him. We use the raw materials and we apply ourselves. And from it, we create an offering. What's the purpose of this offering? Like it only has one purpose, it's to worship Him, right? So if we use that as our model, and that's why the Orthodox Church is so beautiful, because it's given us all of these things, which are really basic, really simple. Every, the, the smallest kid in the church gets the concept of communion. Like I come to church and I have communion, right? And where does it come from? Well, it comes from the bread basket, you know? Like every, like, so it's, it's very simple. And it's given to us, but to reveal to us the mysteries of God. <coughs> One of the uh, famous uh, scholar, Father Dimitri Stanilou, says... The glory to which man is called is that he should grow more like God-like by growing ever more human. The glory of God is man fully alive, says St. Irenaeus, right? What does that mean? That means that our, our vocation, the, the fullness of my reason for being is achieved. Like, you know, sometimes you go to a, you go to a party or you go to a dinner party or this or that or a social gathering, so kind of you feel out of place. Right? Sometimes you feel like, or sometimes you just wake up and you feel like the day's not right. You know, you feel like you're a, you feel like you're a right foot stuck in a left shoe. You know, I don't know if that's if you've ever had that feeling, but I have that feeling sometimes. Right? I'm just, I'm not supposed to be here. I, I'm not where I am. I need to be, or, or something. I'm forgetting something really important, or something in your mind clicks. Right? Something's not right. Something's not 
clicking. We're fully right. We're fully fitting. We're fully, it's, it's, it's like a right hand and a right glove and it fits perfectly. When we live out our vocation, what we were made to do, right? And what we were made to do is to be human, like nothing, but not human like when people mess up and they say, oh, well, I'm only human. Not human like that, no, but rather human the way God created us before the fall. That's what he created. He created us to enjoy his creation in worship back to him, not to enjoy his creation for our own selfish purposes. And we're going to get to that. So as we become human, human here understood as the humanity that God created, not human as it is now. As we become human, we, we, we fit back into what we're supposed to be and all of a sudden things start falling into place. And we're going to talk a little bit about that like more specifically, right? So sometimes we talk about this concept of ancestral sin. Ancestral sin is a very simple, the primordial act, primordial means like very original act of disobedience, often referred to as Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil in Genesis chapter 3, right? <clears throat> but simply, it simply can be understood as not returning love for love. So whenever we talk about ancestral sin, or sometimes you'll hear it referred to as original sin, right? We're talking about that, that primordial act, that very basic act of taking love and not returning it back with love, right? And that's where we failed as a humanity. And that's the beginning of every failure of humanity, right? And it has its root in the garden. And it persists till today. And all of humanity is affected. There's nobody who is immune, you know? Some authors say that the Holy Virgin Mary did not commit any willful act, yet was still subject to ancestral sin. It's a little, a little gray zone there. But anyways, the rest of us humanoids, mortals, right, we're all, we're all affected. Sorry, the script is so small. So man's act ultimately is a refusal of love, a refusal to enter into communion with God who created him. God gave us the world not merely as a source of biological sustenance, but as communion with Him. If you notice, like, like, let's take a very basic example again in the church. All of the sacraments use some physical thing. Well, that, what's that physical, where that physical thing come from? Well, God created, right? Uh, water in baptism, water and oil in baptism, oil in chrismation. Um, uh, the, the, the priest in the sacrament of the priesthood and the sacrament of confession, right? The, the, the gifts and incense and so on, all, of, all of these things in the Eucharist and so on, right? So God gave us stuff so that we could use the stuff to worship Him. Not so we could run off with the stuff and enjoy it in our own little corner to the exclusion of God, right? But that's essentially what we did. Right? And so you'll find that the sacraments, the word sacrament means a physical manifestation of, the spirit, of spiritual phenomena. Right? So you find that the, the, the sacraments are a physical manifestation of this concept. 
that God gave us stuff to worship Him. Right? Like, none of the sacraments can be done without some physical thing there. They can. Like, like it happens sometimes. It's happened to me once. I went to go pray for somebody in hospital and I forgot oil. Like, I had no oil. Well, I wasn't praying, uh, like, the, the sacrament of the unction of sister. I just prayed for them. But I couldn't, I certainly couldn't anoint them. Because what would I anoint them? I forgot, I forgot my little thing of oil in the car or at home or whatever, you know? Um, it's happened to us before that we didn't have bread for an offering. Whatever happened, you know? Whatever happened, happened, you know? Right? We can pray a liturgy of the word. But we can't, we, can't, we can't pray the sacrament, right? So God wants us to have stuff and to use stuff, but to use it with Him, not to use it to the exclusion of Him. Father Alexander Schmemann talks uh, about this, this re- says, writes some really beautiful stuff in this book for the life of the world. It's a little thin little book, it's a couple of um, 100 pages, 150 pages or something. All that exists is God's gift to man and all that exists to make God known to man, to make man's life communion with God. It is divine love made food, made life for man. God blesses everything he creates and in biblical language, this means that he makes all creation the sign and means of his presence and wisdom and love and revelation. So God has given us all this stuff so we can commune with him. The word communion is like a little bit esoteric to some people, like people at the bus stop don't say the word communion, you know. So like to connect with him, to be, of, to be one with him, you know. That's the purpose of all of God's creation. Like essentially, on a very essential level, on a very grassroots, basic level, right. So all that exists is to reveal God to us and to help us to enter into relationship with Him. So a refusal to obey is a refusal to love. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments multiple times. And a refusal to love is a refusal to commune. Right? Communion is like the consummation of, the consummation of love. Right? husband and wife consummate their marriage right in the marriage chambers right in the in their marital bed man's act was ultimately a refusal to love a refusal to enter into communion with god the god who had created him god gave the world to mankind not merely as a source of biological sustenance but as communion with himself and like each one of us needs to ask ourselves this. We got into this long conversation last time about vegetarianism or veganism, right? You know, we have to ask ourselves, like, all of God's creation, you know, my car, my, my, the roof over my head, um, the food on my table, the, the whatever, the clothes on my back. Is this, do I use this to commune with God or does this thing distance me from God? To ask myself that question. If we're going to be serious, if we're going to be honest, you know, and we have to ask ourselves, all this stuff, we live in a society of stuff, everybody has lots of stuff, right? Is it, what's this stuff doing? And what am I doing with it, right?
So to return love for love, that's the primordial instinct. Like even like an infant loves, like has this bond of love with the mother because the mother was like her, the, the, the infant's everything for nine months, you know, was, was, was shelter, was abode, was food, was circulation, was, was everything, was oxygen, was breathing, everything came through that placenta and happened in that womb. And once the child is born, the baby literally nurses, literally sucks off the mom, like, and lives off the mom. And so the bond, the bond of love develops because it's just normal that, and then, and then you find that the relationship between the infant and its mother, the infant loves the mother, right? Even sometimes, sadly, sometimes the parents, for whatever reason, you know, uh, don't show that love to the child, but the child still loves the parent. It's, it's very odd, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a prime, it's, a, it's, it's like a human instinct. And that's what we're talking about here. Here we're almost like crossing over sort of between theology into anthropology, like or some kind of spiritual anthropology. We're saying like it's just human. It's human to, to return love for love. Like it's inhumane to abuse somebody who loves you. Most people would agree with that, you know? So God made food for us as an act of love to show us his, his love for us. And that's why like, we have this like, micro-obsession here at our parish of doing like, food ministry. Like, everything we do has food. And people come and tell me, like, Father John, like, maybe, like, maybe like, you're, you're, you know, the, the, the church has too much money or something. You know, like, you're always spending money on food. And you know what? For one thing, God provides. But, so don't, don't worry about that. But the thing is that food is an act of love. It's an act of love to prepare food, to offer food, to serve food. It, it's an act of love, right? And, and we're looking here like at God as the, as, as the ultimate lover of humankind, right? Giving food is, a, is an act of love. And like they, the opposite, the expression says that don't bite the hand that feeds you, right? It's like... It's almost, like, it's almost like what I'm saying isn't theology, it's common sense, right? So much so that even... So, but where did society get these, where, these ideas, these thoughts? They all come, they're all a reflection of our humanity, which is what God created. Of course, now we see our humanity with some brokenness. Now the trouble comes, the trouble comes when Adam and Eve... Don't eat from all the trees of the Garden of Eden, but they choose to eat from the one that they weren't allowed to eat from. Why do they eat from the one that they weren't allowed to eat from? Because the deceiver comes and deceives them and says, if you eat from this tree, you will be like God. But when God created Adam and Eve, he says, let us make man in our image and likeness. So they were already like God. So he was basically just giving them a counterfeit, right? And you'll notice that this is the pattern for every sin. Every sin is a substitution of something which is true for something which is a lie. Something which is real for something which is fake. And confession is the exact opposite. It's to come to God and tell him, I accepted this fake thing and now I want the truth. I made fun of this person and thought in the moment that it was a good thing to do, but I realized 
to be kind and gentle and supportive and love that person is better. I sinned. I missed the mark. What does it mean to miss the mark? We're throwing darts. So the dart misses the mark. It means it didn't hit the bullseye. So what did it hit? I don't know, something else, right? So instead of hitting the bullseye, it hit something else, right? That's exactly what sin is, right? Is to take something instead of something. It's a substitution. So you'll notice like a lot of the time people come and ask me, Father John, is this wrong? The basic principle is, is it a substitution? And God isn't so fussed. I'm not now talking about the Garden of Eden, but I'm just talking about us in life. He's not so fussed about the fact that I'm doing the wrong thing. It's the opportunity cost of, the, of doing the wrong thing. That's the problem. You see, because my day is only 24 hours long, and each hour is only 60 minutes, and every minute is only 60 seconds. And God has a glorious will to reveal Himself to me in every one of those minutes and seconds. But when I run off with God's creation and prostitute myself to it, rather than love God, rather than commune with God, I miss out on the revelation, which is the whole reason I'm on this planet in the first place. Right? The issue isn't that I'm abusing God's creation so much as it is that I'm abusing God's creation at the expense of communion with Him. So humankind says, I want to be like God when we were already created in God's image and likeness. But we don't say, I want to be like God and I want God to help me. We say, I want to be like God and I want to do it my own way. So what's Jesus' answer to all of this? What does St. Athanasius say? God became man that man might become God. God says, you want to be God? Okay. Let me be incarnate. Let me join my, humanity, my divinity with all of your humanity and make it my humanity and my divinity all together. And if you enter into communion with me, you become like God. You become partakers of the divine nature, which is like a mind-boggling idea far beyond, uh, far beyond me, right? We have to see how sweet God is. Like, we choose the wrong thing. So he says, okay, let's choose that and let's make something great out of it. Right? Romans 8.28, right? That he makes something good out of everything in our lives. The tree is the image of the world loved for itself. And eating it is the image of life understood as an end in itself. When we start to make an end out of stuff, we're doing exactly what Adam and Eve did. That's what Father Shmemen is saying. We're basically telling God, no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. Right? And this is the essence of the fall. Like this is the this is the essence of this is the essence of that that other thing. In human choice. We could choose God or we could choose the other stuff. What's the other thing? Just tell God, yeah, uh, no thanks. I, I, I'm alright, thanks. I'm okay. Uh, I, 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 don't need, I don't need your help. And that's what lust is. Lust is simply like a very simple general definition of lust. Is to desire something <coughs> outside of the will of God for me now. 
So God desires for me to be uh, at home resting now. But I choose to uh, run around doing service. That fits the, the, the general definition of lust. But, but I'm doing service. I'm serving God. But it's not what God wants. That's not what He asked for. To obey is better than sacrifice. Says in Samuel 15. Right? God's not looking for servants or slaves or cheap labor. You know? God wants us and He wants our love. Right? Love in creation instead of the Creator. It's very simple. So you see here like... You see here, like now that we've kind of given these really simple, basic definitions, it becomes very clear. There's love and there's lust. And there isn't much else. Either I return love for love, or I take with using, to do that, I use God's creation to love Him, or I take His creation. I don't have a choice because He's given me His creation. It's like a hot potato. Here, you got it, right? So I got it. Well, what am I going to do with it? If I use it to return love for love, that's loving God. That's our vocation. That's what we were created for. Or I take the hot potato and I run off with it and I do whatever I want to do with it. Right? So there's love and there's lust and there quite frankly isn't much else. Story about lust uh, in, the, in the sayings of the Desert Fathers, Paradise of the Fathers. This uh, young monk sits next to this elder monk at the communal table. They had like They'd have shared their meals, right? So the big long communal tables. He sits next to his father. And he goes, man, I have been looking forward to this bowl of beans all day. I'm starving, right? And his father looks at him and he tells him, go to the refectory, like the kitchen, right? And prepare for yourself some meat. He says to him, but father, we're fasting. He says, go and prepare yourself some meat. So he goes, of course in those times he didn't go open the freezer and pull out, you know, some chicken breasts, right? To go chase the chicken around the yard, catch the chicken, kill the chicken, feather the chicken. It was a process, you know? So during this process, he had some time to think, why is my father telling me to eat meat? While all the other brothers are fasting, right? So he prepares it and he eats it and comes back to the father and says, but father, why did you tell me to eat meat? And he tells him, it is better for you to eat meat than to eat beans with lust. It is better for you to eat meat with obedience than to eat beans with lust. Right? So, to ask myself, <laughs> concerning my own eating habits, <laughs> right? Can't look at anybody now, right? Is it love or is it lust? The church is telling us it's very simple. There's two things, and they're mutually exclusive. And there's nothing in between. Right? Is what I'm doing an offering of love back to God? I'm taking what God gave me, and I'm using it to love Him more? Or am I using it for my own pleasure and desires? And there really isn't much else. In Genesis uh, chapter 2.17, it says, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I have to tell you, I read this verse like a million times as a kid. And I thought to myself, now how does that work? 
they ate from the tree and they didn't die. Like, what am I supposed to make of this? And to be honest with you, for like, I don't know, mid-twenties or something, I don't know, I didn't really, like, I didn't want to say that the Bible is not true, but they ate from the tree and they didn't die. So how does that work? Mankind chose food instead of choosing God. Right? Think about it. Like, think about it for a second. The overwhelming majority of things that we eat are alive or dead. Dead. There's like, a, I, I went like on Googling, like, what are things you can eat, like, while they're still alive? You can eat eels, sea urchins. Some people, uh, some fancy restaurant in New York that offers lobster, sashimi, while it's still alive. So like, like, isn't this horrific? Like they cut open the tail while the thing is still alive and it crawls around on your plate and you're picking out its tail while it's still moving, you know? Um, anyways, 17 different things you can eat. Other really weird things, critters of various descriptions, right? But the overwhelming majority of things we eat are dead, right? <clears throat> My mom, I'm doing this diet these days, right? And I, I, I'm not eating uh, red meat or whatever. So my mom calls me every day. She's like, what did you eat today? <laughs> and I'm like, this. she's like, you have to eat protein, right? Whatever, what's going to happen to me if I don't? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get weak and I'm going to get sick. Bad things are going to happen to me, right? So let's think about this for a second. If I, don't, I eat dead stuff so that I can be more alive, doesn't that sound a little weird? And what happens if I don't eat the dead stuff? Well, first of all, the stuff is so dead that I can't just leave it on the counter because it'll rot. So I have to put it in the fridge so that it doesn't rot. So basically, I eat stuff which is dead to try to make me alive. Doesn't make any sense. The church is telling us it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Fasting will give you life, right? Eating according to like how God wants us to eat will give you life. Using the gifts that God gave us as an act of worship back to Him, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't eat, a, a, you know, a, have a nice steak when you go home tonight or whatever. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you shouldn't eat nice food or I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is that the world has totally, like, it doesn't make any sense. Right? So I choose to eat, like, the moment they picked the, the fruit off the tree, it was dead. Right? But somehow, I think it's going to give me life. It doesn't make any sense. The church is telling us, you want life, you'll find life in fasting. You want life, you'll find life in using the things that God gave us in a way that they were made to be used to give us life, right? So that's what passions are. Passions are energies that are like similar to God's energies that are misused. For example, anger, right? Does God get angry? Sure he does, absolutely. But his, right, his anger is a righteous anger. His God, anger is not a personal anger. God, God's anger is not personal. 
God's anger is about what's right and wrong. Does God demonstrate Im- intense energy, like diffused at wrongdoing? Absolutely. It drives him ballistic. But it's not personal. It's not a per- God is not God doesn't get offended. It's completely different from my anger. Once in a blue moon, I get I have righteous anger, right? Where did I get it from? Fear, right? There's a fear of God, and there's a, all kinds of other fear. What is fear? We talked about this anxiety series, right? It's, a, it's an unpleasant feeling, stimu- like stimulated by the thought or feeling or concern or worry of the loss of something dear. Now, if that something dear is God, that's fear of God. I have communion with God, and I'm worried I'm going to lose it. I've had a few experiences in my life of, of a presence of God which was unreal. Never felt anything like it. Like, unreal. In those moments, I freeze like a statue. I don't want to breathe. I don't want to move. I don't want to think. I don't want to say a word. I don't want to lose that moment. I don't want to do anything that could make me lose that moment. You know? You're having... You know, you, you know, you're having a beautiful moment by yourself or with somebody you love or whatever, and then somebody walks in, turns the lights on, and turns the music on, and, right? right? Rooms the moment. Fear of God versus fear of losing my job, losing my income, losing this, losing that, right? Godly energies, and when they get askew just a little bit, right, they become passion. That's what the passions are. So do we eat to live or do we live to eat? You know, the frequent question that we ask. Hell, hell is simply that every ligament of our society is torn by man's self-centeredness and greed. Jean-Paul Sartre, the uh, French existentialist and philosopher, says hell is the other, or sometimes translated, you know, he says... The other, the other people he means, right? Whereas the Russian Orthodox novelist Dostoevsky says, hell is the suffering of being no longer able to love. That is hell. When you take God completely out of the equation, everything other than me is hell. When you put God in the equation, not being able to enter into that communion with God, like seeing but not having, that's So the world has basically chosen stuff over God, creation over creator. God is the source of all life, so what have we done? cut ourselves off from life, which is death. Right? Like, if our life has become, my life has, has developed an end unto itself. The end is no longer God. So, what's the end? Well, if the end, if it's end, if it's end here, I don't mean it's end by its finality. It's, no, but it's goal, it's aim. Its aim is no longer God. Its aim is anything other than God. Then what, what is it? If it's, if it's not life, what is it? 
death. So this life that I live has become death to me. So them choosing to eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil, which we said is just a, a primordial kind of, you know, like a kind of prototype of sin, right? Of substitution. Every time I do that substitution, my life becomes death. The life I'm living. And it's not the tree. The problem wasn't the tree or the fruit. The problem was the disobedience. The problem isn't the money in my bank account. The problem is what I'm doing with it. The problem isn't the food in my fridge. The problem is what I'm doing with it. You know, the problem isn't, and so on. And, you, and we can, each one of us can find whatever thing to fill that sentence, right? And all of creation is looking at us and pulling its hair and saying, like, stop, please, right? Because creation is not an innocent, is, is innocent, but is not a bystander. Creation is what we're using to lust rather than love. Like, suppose you could have a conversation with that tree of knowledge of good and evil, and specifically with that fruit, you know? Suppose you could talk to that fruit and it could talk back to you. What would it say? So, you're like, you know, you're a fly on the wall, you're a fly on the wall of, in paradise, right? And you say to the fruit, oh, what's going on? I don't know. I was just minding my own business, hanging from this tree, right? And all of a sudden, the serpent came out of nowhere, and then he convinced her, and now, oh my God, she's, oh my God, she's reaching out her hand. Wait, stop, somebody stop her, right? And the fruit will be like, no, don't do it, don't do it, stop, don't do it, right? Because the fruit knows it wasn't made to be eaten by Eve, or Adam, or whatever, right? Why was it there? It's an excellent question. Two reasons. One, two reasons I'm aware of. Other theologically really smart people can tell us more. The first, to create choice. Because without choice, there's no love. I can't be, I can't be coerced or forced to love you. When we uh, pray an engagement ceremony and we fill out the engagement contract, it, you know, one of the things that we make the, the couple initial or sign on or whatever, that this is a relationship is not by coercion. It's not, it's, it's, it's free, it's free will, right? And that they are of age. They have to be, you know, uh, in the legal age to marry in the province, whatever, or, or have parental consent. But even if they have parental consent and they're underage, it cannot be by coercion, right? According to the laws of the church, as I understand. So choice. And the second thing is that some Theologians write about how God did not intend for us to never eat from the tree of good and evil. Knowledge of good and evil. He intended for us to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. After we ate from the tree of life. Not the other way around. Huh? No, they have these very complicated theological uh, uh, ideas about it. But the, the, the idea is that the tree of life, the tree of life, brings us to immortality in Christ forever and keeps us in that state. So based on that, based on that principle is, is why did God keep them out of paradise? Like why didn't he, why did, okay now they have the knowledge of good and evil. Now they need to like return to, uh, to a love of God through knowledge. 
Like they need to, now they, now they know the difference. Now they know they're naked. Now they know the difference between good and evil. Before they were innocent. They didn't know the difference between good and evil. You know? Right? So today was the first day my almost two-year-old daughter decided to color on our new hardwood and on the walls. Right? So today was also the first day that she got a punishment. Why? Because had she done that, tried to do that six months ago, she didn't really fully understand, right? But she loves art and she, you know, and she every day she does like 17 different arts and crafts and she knows where she paints. She knows where the easel is. Like it's not, it's not magical, you know? She knows where the color, and she'll tell you, to, she'll pull you to go set up her little table for her so she can color with her crayons. And she'll tell you, she'll tell you set up the table, and then she'll go and show you the basket and pull on you until you go bring her the basket. You know, she knows what to do. So she knows, so she has to do correctly. When she didn't know, she was innocent, right? So they knew, now that we know, we have to return to God, to a love of God, knowing, right? And we need to know God. And that's why our journey back to God now is a journey of revelation. Keep, uh, every time I, I speak, talk about revelation, that God may be revealed to us more. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. All this stuff, right? Why? Because this journey now, we, we chose. I want to know the difference between good and evil. God says, okay, you will know. So, let me teach you. So now our journey back to Him is a journey of revelation. So, God, why did God kick them out of paradise? Lest they eat from the tree of life and stay in this state of non-communion or, you know, I don't like the word separation, but for the lack of a better word, from God forever. Right? Because it's not separation from God as though God was absent. It's a separation from God as though, you know, you can live in the same house as somebody and, and, and not be connected with. You know, because some days I realize like the whole day has passed and I've been spent the whole day working from home. I don't know, preparing talks, doing whatever. But I, not once that I asked Mary how she's doing, that I asked her how she's feeling, what she's worried about, what she's thinking. What is she doing today? I have no idea. It's in my own little world, disconnected. Right? So. <clears throat> Wrapping up, Father Shmemen said that the world of nature cut off from the source of life is a dying world. For one who thinks food in itself is a source of life, eating is communion with a dying world. It is communion with death. Food itself is death. It is life that has died and it must be kept in a refrigerator like a corpse. Right? The fall of man is the most real fact of man's life, whether he realizes it or not. A quick glance in the morning paper can tell you that. I think every one of us can see how today's talk is not some esoteric theological thing. Today's talk is just part of our human existence. John, Pope John Paul II uh, wrote a book uh, about the human condition and he says 
in it, he says that suffering is most likely completely inseparable from the human condition. Why? Because of all the stuff we've been talking about. Either because I choose to lust rather than to love, or the people around me choose to lust rather than to love. But it all boils back down to one day in the garden. That's where it all starts. So, our journey here is to reverse what happened in the garden. To choose to love rather than to lust. Just to, to choose to obey rather than to disobey. And every time I do that, I, and I bring all humanity with me, one step closer back to the meaning of God. So you have some reflection questions um, that you can, uh, like I was suggesting, you know, just uh, uh, <clears throat> if you want to read them now or, or tuck them away somewhere or you, you bump into them in the middle of the week or something, that way you can uh, kind of review and see uh, what you think. Any discussion? This is a topic that can bring about a lot of discussion, I'm sure. God is the infinite, complete, not lacking, not lacking, yeah, not lacking anything. Why does he have such a need? Like he created us to worship him. I mean, this, you know, you keep repeating this, but then when you think about it, this is, he's infinite. This has no need for anything. So he created mankind so that mankind worships him. Like in the liturgy, we pray that, you know, it is not, uh, it's, it's, it's me that I need your servitude rather than you needing me to worship you, right? I, I don't know how to yes, it yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have no need, uh, 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 you have no need of my servitude, but right. I have need of your lordship. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, this, is, this is the penultimate question of all theology. Uh, you know, of all creation theology, why did God create us? One thing we can say, certainly not out of need. Sure. Yeah, he doesn't need us. No. So. Even I mentioned, I think, in, when we're talking about the Trinity, about a heresy that came up, I believe, in the second century that said God is love and love requires two. So God created us to love us because, like, he has to love something. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you can't. Like, if you love yourself, that's not love, that's selfishness. So, but that's a heresy because that's disproved by the Trinity. Because there's a perfect relationship of love between the persons of the Trinity. He did not need, he did not need to go outside of himself. This is the pan-ultimate question of, of all theology. And there's been a lot of things written, but nothing is conclusive. They all end with, we'll ask him when he get there, when we get there. You know? You're right. Like he has no need of he has no need for us in any way, shape, or form. And on that note, and I don't know whether this is right or wrong, but it's my it's 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 it's, it's the song I'm singing until someone can tell me otherwise. That's my attitude towards ministry. When I'm serving, I'm serving people, but I'm also serving Christ, and He doesn't need me. 
He really doesn't. So it hurts me when I, like sometimes we send out like these text messages or emails or something saying, we need volunteers at St. John the Compassionate. No, we don't. We need volunteers at St. Peter's Mission. No, we don't. You all need to come and serve. <laughs> you need God, and we're creating an opportunity for you to interface with Him. We're creating an opportunity for you to come and touch Him. And if you are not discerning of that great privilege, then stay home. God has no need. But that's the essence of us being here on earth. We're here on earth for a purpose. To love Him. But we have, but, that, the, but like not to love Him in a vacuum or in a void. To love Him, to use His creation to love Him. So He gave us each other to love each other. And through loving each other, loving Him. Right? But you're right, like on a deeper level, but why? Like why? We grappled with that question last night in our table. Wouldn't, wouldn't it have been, wouldn't it have yeah. been uh, you know, so much less a headache for God yeah. to say, forget this, yeah. you know? There's a really nice play done about that called The Seed. You can look up the script for it on, online. It's a short little, like, uh, little play. Any other questions or comments? Or? You're quiet tonight, Mina. <laughs>